This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 114, and I am interviewing Thais Skye about worthiness, how to heal our worthiness wound, the problem with mantras and positive thinking, and the importance of feeling feelings to heal and more. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 114. As a reminder, if you haven't already done so, take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. You can leave a review by heading to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, and then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. I'm going to give a shout out to Queen Bee who left this amazing review. I love how this is positive and helping women get out of the diet mentality. Rock that beautiful body. I wish more professionals were like Summer and more people listen to the positive talk. Great job. Thank you so much, Queen Bee. I really appreciate it. Lastly, don't forget to grab the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. I just want to preface, preface, preface. I honestly don't know which way you say that word. I want to preface this episode, I think it might be preface, with a a couple of things. There are a few points in this episode where Thais talks about emotional eating and binge eating. And I want to say that while her advice of it's not about the food is so important and critical because our relationship with food is so closely tied to our body image and our worth, it's also important to know that in order to stop binging, we have to remove any kind of restriction, both mental and physical to stop binging. In that sense, it is about the food. We've got to feed ourselves and remove any kind of moralization around food. Also, I always tell clients that there's nothing wrong with using food to cope with emotions. It's okay to do that. You can work on feeling your feelings and eat. This didn't get touched on in this episode, and I know a lot of you who are listening are recovering from disordered eating or chronic dieting. So I wanted to mention that because it's really critical. And I've spoken about this in other episodes, specifically episode 83 titled Why Diets Don't Work, and the episode called Stop Fighting Food with Isabel Fox and Duke is also an amazing resource for this. So check out those if you haven't already. Today's guest is Thais Skye, two parts sass, one part straight up truth talk. Thais is a motivational speaker, author, women's leadership coach, and feminist on a heart-led mission to support the seekers, the visionaries, why the heck do I feel so broken of the world, reclaim their sense of belonging by learning how to explore, trust, and express themselves unapologetically. Thais is awesome. She's got so much passion for this topic, and I think you're going to love her. Check it out. 
Hey, Thais, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Summer. I'm excited for you to be here. I think you're going to offer a really cool perspective on self-worth, and I'm really looking forward to digging in. Let's do it. Yeah. So before we do that, I'd love for you to tell our listeners about how you got into this work. What was your personal experience with it? I actually started out as a health coach. So I was a health coach and yoga teacher about six years ago. And I got into this industry, into the field of wellness, because I was experiencing some pretty debilitating binge eating issues. I I can't actually technically diagnose it as a disorder because it did not align with formal codes of binge eating, which is I think you have to binge like three times a week for it to be considered a disorder. But for me, it was absolutely debilitating. Mm -hmm. And while it didn't happen to that magnitude, when it did happen, it wrecked havoc on my life. And this happened when I was in college and I was in denial about my problems for a very long time. I just thought that this binge would be the last binge. And if I exercised enough and controlled my food enough, exerted a lot of willpower over my diet and my regimen, the binge eating would just go away. Um, But as you can imagine, it only augmented Mm -hmm. my binge eating. And I, after three or some years of believing that I didn't have a problem, I didn't have a problem, I didn't have a problem. I finally had this dark night of the soul moment where um, I tell the story so often. And every time I do, I just bring myself back to that moment where I was in my friend's apartment. It was dark. It was late at night. I was recovering from mono, from mononucleosis. I was alone. It was very hot. There was no air conditioning and I had just gone over a breakup with the love of my life, you know, the one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was devastated and I acutely remember instead of being with the devastation, with the grief, with everything that was coming up, all I could think about was the block of cheese that I wanted to eat in my fridge because that was the only, you know, junk food, quote unquote, that I had in my life was this block of cheese. At that moment, I knew that there was something off. You know, the fact that I couldn't even deal with what was coming up for me. I was just obsessed with consuming and ravaging that block of cheese really scared me. And so I prayed. For the first time in my life, I didn't believe in God. I was a proud atheist, very angry at this idea of, you know, religion, spirituality. I just didn't know what else to do. And so I prayed and I got a response. And in that response, I heard the answer of, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And that was all I needed, Summer, to kick myself back up, to realize that maybe I wasn't alone. There was healing. There was possibilities for me. This didn't have to wreak havoc in my life you know, forever. I didn't have to be consumed by this grief forever. And so that was when I started the journey of, okay, so what is that voice? What was that? What was that experience? What is this idea called self-love? What is this idea called spirituality? And I started consuming so many books and I started to get into yoga and, and started finding, whoa, a lot of healing around connecting with my physical body. And I decided, you know, what, I'm going to go and be a health coach. I went to IIN I got my certification. I was coaching women and the work has um, shifted a lot, you know, since that moment six years ago, but it's still very much committed to supporting women and finding their worth and whatever that looks like and, and really stepping into a space of freedom from internalized 
limiting beliefs, self-definition of having to look and be a certain way in order for us to find happiness, right? So dismantling cultural norms that we've indoctrinated within our lives and really finding that wild, amazing, ravenous, pleasureful, um, embodied woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you talk about the worthiness wound and yes. I would love for you to elaborate on what that is. Yeah. So I, as I started coaching, I realized that it's never about the food, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, sometimes we believe that it's about the food, but it's never about the food. Just like it's never about money. It's always, there's always a deeper issue. And when we can address that deeper issue, our challenges with money and our body, it starts to fall in place. And so I shifted gears from health coaching to life coaching. And as these women were coming into um, work with me, I kept finding a theme. And that theme was in alignment with what I was experiencing in my life, which is, you know, when we experience the trauma of being a woman on this planet and feeling inherently broken and inadequate, like we're never going to actually live up to the expectations of ourselves. And there's a dissonance there between who we want to be and who we're taught we have to be. If we don't uh, look at that and analyze that, we're always going to fall into spirals of Um, being addicted to food, alcohol, drugs, TV, spending money, you know, binging in different capacities. We're going to find ourselves having these strong defensive mechanisms that keep us from being spontaneous and alive. We're going to find ourselves in a lot of pain. And so I developed a model called the worthiness wound, which is that deep sense of brokenness. Worthiness to me is a very complicated conversation because, you know, we look at all the self-help books, right? All the personal development books and everyone admits that worth and self-worth is critical. And we hear these cliche things like your net worth is defined by your self-worth. And so we know that self-worth is important. Knowing who we are and feeling confident in ourselves is important. And yet none of the books actually talk about how to develop self-worth and how to actually feel like we belong on this planet. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talks about how to cultivate self-love, but self-love and self-worth are two different things. So I continue to do a lot of research and understanding of, okay, what is this sense of worth? What is this sense of brokenness, right? Because when I talk about the worthiness wound, I'm not talking about this fleeting sense of, oh, I don't feel good enough in this dress. I'm talking about that deep, desperate longing to belong and to feel you know, good in who we are in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, how can we navigate that? And by creating this model and this understanding of the worthiness wound, I found that it gives women a sense of, okay, I'm not broken. And I'm not the only one who feels this way. We start to find community. We start to find language. We start to find understanding around this predicament. And when we can do that, then we can start to unpack it and we can start to move through it and we can allow it to transform us. Yeah. So you mentioned there's a difference between self-worth and self-love. What, how do you, how do you differentiate between the two? Hmm. You know, that's interesting. I think when we look at this idea of love, let's go to the extreme variation of love, which is this idea of unconditional love. It's the sense that you can accept anything that you see. Unconditionality, no matter what you do, I will love you. 
you know, I'm not sure that humans really get this idea of unconditional love. I think we're extremely human. And so in our pursuit of unconditional love, I think we oftentimes think that that's what it has to be for ourselves. If we don't love all of who we are, then we can't love ourselves at all. Sort Mm, of thing. Okay. And I think self-love is the act of, uh, embracing our imperfections. And I think worthiness is the innate feelings of belonging. Mm -hmm. And so they definitely go together and, and they help each other. When we talk about one, we start to find some relief with the other. Um, but the sense of belonging and feeling like you're allowed to be here to me speaks in a slightly different tune than the idea of self-love. Yeah, I almost see there's a huge difference between self-esteem and self-worth. And I think yeah. self, self-esteem and self-love are probably more closely related in the way yeah, that I've you're describing it. this question, Summer. So this is actually really good. I'm going to continue <laughs> to think about this because <laughs> I think it's important to make this distinction only so that we can start to navigate and understand, you know, where we are on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I think when we're in the process of recovering, the first step that we can take is understanding that we're not alone, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that comes with an understanding of what is love. Mm-hmm. You know, if love is an energy field that encompasses all of us, if this idea of God, you know, is just simply the a manifestation of the word love within all of us, that means that whatever this energy field is doesn't exclude us simply because of the way our body looks or the way our skin color is or the way our gender is or the spectrum of that, right? Mm-hmm. Then we can start to find and understanding that we can belong. So I don't know, maybe there's, um, there's more alike than not alike, but that's definitely something I'll be thinking about because I love that question a lot. Well, I think self-love is kind of a newer term as well. And I think mainstream definition of it has been butchered quite a bit in that, like you said, it's, it's this idea that we love every part of ourselves and, um, and I, I think it's so closely tied or at least kind of the, the mainstream and our and the way our, our culture is right now. It's been really intertwined with this idea that like, well, you're beautiful. <laughs> and um, and I and I think that that becomes very problematic in in the sphere of of, like you said, like really just knowing that you belong. Yeah, I see that pendulum swinging, you know, in a slightly um, the opposite direction from self-hate mm-hmm. to an expectation of self-love. Mm-hmm. You know, like no matter what you look like, you're expected now to just be okay with it. I think that that could also cause a lot of harm because it's that word, that expectation. Yes. And expectation can be extremely dangerous yes. because it doesn't honor our humanity. And that's really my work is on how to embrace our humanity. We're so quick to want to associate ourselves with the goddess, you know, <laughs> with perfection, with this, um, this ownership of all of who we are, that we miss a step. And that step is there are places where you may not accept yourself. And that doesn't mean anything about who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's about embracing the messiness of being a human, which is humanity. Absolutely. Like you said. Yeah. 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 
So I, I'm okay. There's so many questions I want to ask you, but just I, <laughs> before I kind of jump to where I want to go, I, I want to take a step back so that people can identify with this more closely. So from my perspective, chronic dieting, body image issues are a huge manifestation of that worthiness wound. Uh, you know, Absolutely. just having not having that sense of worth. What are some of the other behaviors that you see associated with it? The reason why I call this predicament, the worthiness wound, you know, I want to be clear on why I use that word wound, because I like to relate to this type of pain as the same type of pain that we would experience if we have a gash on our leg. You know, if you have a huge gash on your leg, you wouldn't ignore it, right? Odds are you wouldn't ignore it. Um, because you kind of need that leg and it kind of hurts a lot. But what we've been taught in our society is that when there's a psychological wound, we are to ignore it because there are no support systems that allow us to be okay in that pain. So because we're not taught how to be emotionally resilient, we're not actually taught how to navigate our emotions at all. We live in that very skewed, toxic masculinity culture of that puts a lot of pressure on our intellect while neglecting our emotions. And as women, we are actually being, um, so when we don't know how to deal with our emotions, we tend to numb out. We tend to go for food, go for whatever we can find some control in, whatever we can do to escape the pain. Just like when there is a physical gash in our body and we don't know how to handle that pain or how to treat it properly, what do we do? We go to drugs, right? We go to painkillers. We go to that other place. So we've got to figure out a way of how to navigate the pain. And so when we have a gash in the leg, the first thing we should do is to treat it, is to love on it, is to clean it. And that's the same for the worthiness wound. Instead of seeing it as, oh, well, I feel unworthy. I'm a sucky individual. Can we just get curious and loving to the fact that there's a place within you that does feel deeply unworthy? Mm -hmm. Can we tend to it and befriend the wound? And so that's why I like to use the word wound, because it, to me, reminds me that just like a physical wound, what the worthiness wound is saying is an invitation to look at it and be gentle with it, because this is a place where your vase of beauty is broken. And so instead of ignoring it, which only makes the entire infrastructure weaker, what if you were to tend to it? Mm-hmm. So I've seen a few manifestations of the worthiness wound, a few large ones, but there's definitely a lot of variations in smaller ways. One of the big ones is an obsessive compulsive desire, excuse me, desire to compare yourself to others. I call this comparitis. Mm-hmm. And in comparitis, it's not just like, oh, I'm looking at social media and I'm kept checking up on everyone's newsreel and, you know, I feel inadequate. It's not just that. It's a deeper sense of I need to look at what other people are doing in order for me to understand my place in the world. Do you see that? It's more insidious and it's um, painful because when we're comparing ourselves to others, we get to feel we feel crappy about ourselves. And then what do we do with that? We feel in a spiral of shame and self-hate, and that spiral is comfortable. Shame is comfortable. We get to feel that. We know what to do with that. We get to hate ourselves. Great. We don't actually then have to do what it's being called for us to do, which is to look at our pain. Mm -hmm. Um, Some other things that I've seen, some other manifestations that I've seen are perfectionism. 
That's a big one. When we feel like we can't do anything or be anyone until we're perfect, until we align with some perfect variation of ourselves. You know, this is the chronic over-exercising. This is the not being able to start your business until it looks perfect or until you have it all figured out. And perfectionism has its own debilitation. And then another one that I see a lot as a manifestation of the worthiness wound is a complete inability to be with our emotions. So I call it emotional numbing. And when we're emotionally numb, we not only push away our negative emotions, but when we push away anything within ourselves, we're also pushing away the positive. So that prevents us from really being able to experience the true breath of our joy and our happiness and our vitality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you mentioned perfectionism, all of these things really, uh, especially with the comparison and the perfectionism, but it is just as a, a desire for belonging, but really from external sources rather than Absolutely. within ourselves. Yeah. yeah. It's that external validation. And it makes sense when we're deeply hurt that we look outward. I mean, look at our, how children, you know, process emotions when they're hurt. When they're sad, they run toward their caretakers, mm-hmm. right? So we do have that natural desire to want to be taken care of and want to belong. The problem is we're not given the tools how to find that for ourselves. And so then we become very externally motivated and externally obsessed. And when we put our power to other people, we're going to be constantly let down. And that's just going to reaffirm that we don't really know what we're doing, that we really are broken. And so then we follow ourselves into our spirals. So I work a lot with women on these patterns because when we start to fall into a comfortable pattern, we don't even notice that it's happening anymore. And that's what was happening for me in binge eating. I didn't even really know summer when I first started that, you know, the reason for my binge eating was because of my, you know, lack of worth and lack of, you know, feeling like I belonged. I thought I was binging because um, I was just stressed and overwhelmed by school. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of work and a lot of therapy and a lot of inner understandings for me to see that actually the spiral is I experience an uncomfortable emotion, you know, like doubt or I'm in college and it's kind of a scary time and you're trying to find where you're belonging and you're trying to find your future and what you want to do. So I would get an uncomfortable emotion. And then because I couldn't sit with that, I would immediately go to something outside of myself like food because food in and of itself is extremely comforting. Food is beautiful. It's delicious. Oh my gosh. Like give me a warm chocolate chip cookie, right? Like it's just the most divine thing. Whatever that thing is for you, food can be really nourishing and delicious, but we are going into it with a very scary place of needing it, needing it to uh, cover us from that uncomfortable emotion. So we go for food and then immediately after that, we feel a lot of shame. We feel fat, we feel ugly, we feel inadequate, and that we know how to handle because we've been there before. And then we go into a reactive mode, which is we overexercise or we just feel pathetic or try to starve ourselves, whatever the repercussion of that is, and then we fall into that spiral all over again. So breaking that pattern is crucial for us to start to find awakening and find autonomy in our lives. Yeah, so I think, you know, where I see this so much is we really redirect all of this back onto our body and Mm -hmm. because we naturally want to have some kind of a solution like we we naturally want to fix any emotional discomfort because we don't like emotional discomfort so we immediately want to fix it so 
we go go into thinking about controlling food, thinking about dieting, redirecting it towards hating on our bodies. And so that's why I, you know, the majority of the time when people say to me that, you know, they're they hate their body or they're struggling with the way that they feel about their body, it's always coming back to just a sense of unworthiness or not feeling like they're enough because that's really what's underneath it. So, well, it's heartbreaking summer because when we look at all spiritual paths, the answer to so much of what we want lies within our bodies. You know, the present moment lies solely within our bodies. And yet women from the time of birth are taught that our bodies are unsafe. Mm -hmm. Our bodies are for the male gaze. Our bodies are to be contorted a certain way. If our body does not align with perfect cultural ideals, then we are trash, right? That we are nothing. We don't belong here. So we are ripped away our power that lies within our bodies at a very, very young age. And it's heartbreaking because imagine what women could be, what our potential could be if we weren't so obsessed with looking a certain way. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it's heartbreaking, but that's why I love that your work is also so feminist because that is one one very important aspect of this work. We've got to talk about our own internalization of cultural voice, but we also have to be extremely clear that our culture is not wanting us to succeed. Our culture has no desire for us to feel worthy because unworthy people buy shit. Mm-hmm. Unworthy people, you know, go into diets and do the Botox and distort their bodies in different ways. And hey, listen, I don't want hate on the beauty industry because I think so much of makeup is an artistic expression, right? Mm-hmm. So much of fashion can be an artistic expression. But when we're using makeup, when we're using clothing to contort and, you know, erase our identity in order for it to, for us to look a certain way, right? Then that's not okay anymore. We've got to be talking about how if we want to radically rise up as women, we've got to start with our self-worth. We've got to. And then we've got to build an army and claim that we are no longer going to be okay with the way society treats women. And it's, you know, it's, it's been it's been a thing. It's been a thing for a long time, but we have a long way to go. Yeah, we do. But I think it's that's so important. Like that perspective is that it's not it's not your fault. Like we were absolutely born into this world, you know, and I think that that's where where the conversation lacks in a lot of self-help books is that absolutely the onus is on the individual, whereas it's heartbreaking. It's it's not it's not your fault. And that's where and that only furthers that belief that you're broken because you think it's my problem. Yeah. And that's what so frustrates me about the self-development industry is the self-development industry can only sustain itself if you think that you are broken. And so it creates certain traps for people to continue to allow people to disown their power, right? So that they can keep feeding money into the industry. So by no means am I saying that we shouldn't want help. Of course, we want to become better humans and We've got to be very, very critical of any industry that tells us that 
our answers lie within somebody else and that we have to buy these things in order for us to be happy. We have all the answers. And so what I always do when I tell all my clients is when you're hiring any type of coach, when you're hiring any type of expert, quote unquote, to support you and they tell you how to run your life, run away. Because the good coaches, the ones who know what they're doing, the therapists, et cetera, et cetera, they're the ones that are inviting you back into your own truth. They're inviting you to trust yourself, you know? Yeah. Well, that's what coaching is. It's the belief that the person is already whole, empowered and resourceful. And it's about helping them to tap into that. But you're yeah, Absolutely. you're right. It's wrong if you're going there and they're just giving you advice on how to live your life. It's like yeah. a red flag right off the top. Yeah, I agree with you there. This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is sponsored by adamandeve.com. You can make this Valentine's Day and every day for that matter, one that you won't forget with this awesome offer from adamandeve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you will receive 50% off just about any item. Just go to adamandeve.com and you'll find thousands of adult entertainment products, including toys, lingerie, and a seemingly endless selection of adult DVDs. And there's more with every order you will receive a free romance kit. That romance kit includes a toy for him, a special massager for her, and a little something for both of you, or just for yourself. Why not? Plus, you'll get a free adult DVD to put you in the mood. And that's not all. They are also throwing in free shipping. So check out adamandeve.com for this special offer. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, and free shipping when you enter promo code code fearless at checkout. That's F-E-A-R-L-E-S-S. Fearless at checkout. Go to adamandeve.com to do that today. So let's talk about, let's, let's talk about, okay, what do we do with this? So, so for people listening and they're like identifying with what you're saying, what is the first step? I know you mentioned understanding we're not alone. So, you know, what's like, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, each individual is so uniquely different and we're all starting in radical different places. But one thing that I have found to be extremely helpful is to put an identity, a voice, a name to that voice in our heads that's telling us that we're unworthy. In meditation, when we start a meditation practice, the power of meditation is we start to detach who we are from our thoughts. So the goal in meditation, if we could say goal, uh, is to observe the thoughts without identifying as the thoughts. And when, when you do that, you start to create a space. You start to say, oh, well then, if I am not those thoughts, then I must be something so much greater, so much more vast than those thoughts. Right. So meditation is a great starting place in any way, shape or form. And there's so many different types of meditations and I have all sorts of resources um, on my website. But when we start to understand that the thought is not who we are, we start to have power. So one of the things that I invite people to do is to start to notice when you are in the spiral of inadequacy, when you're in that spiral of I hate myself, I'm unworthy, et cetera, et cetera to name that voice, name it, give it a name, give it an identity. You can um, give it a name like Meanie Suey, you know, Mean Susie, I don't know, whatever, you know, give it a name and then imagine that voice personifying an individual. 
because sometimes that helps us visualize that individual. And what we're doing there is then that next time that that voice creeps up, we can say, oh, this is me and Susie. This is not me. I am not worthless. This is a voice in my head that is reflecting to me that I am unworthy. And so when we can create that space, we start to find freedom. Then we can say, oh, hi, Susie. You know, why are you here? What's coming up in my life? that is scary or challenging, or that is triggering something like a deeper wounding within me, right? We start to develop that tool of separation. And that can give us a tremendous amount of freedom because then we can say, oh, okay, I'm not worthless. It's just this voice that thinks I'm worthless. And then in that space, we actually get to do something about it. Yeah. And so that doing something about it really, I think, is is so critical. So what do you suggest people do with that? Or what's your suggestion for responding to it? There are so many ways that we can find healing um, from our deeper wounds, like a deep worthiness wound. You know, I created a whole model, a whole structure of how the worthiness wound ends, ends up manifesting within us. I, I really wish I could answer this summer with some, you know, two-step process, but I think for every individual, it's so unique. And I think what we must remember is that our unworthiness is not a problem. And that mindset shift that that shift in understanding can help us not use our worthiness wound as another arrow that feeds into its unworthiness. Like understanding that, yes, we have this place within us that feels deeply inadequate and unworthy, but that doesn't mean that I am broken. It does not mean that I am inherently unworthy. It just means that this is a voice that I've internalized that has helped me create a defensive mechanism to support me move through my life. When we are obsessed with food, when we are obsessed with spending money, when we are obsessed with our bodies, defensive mechanism, it's a way that we've developed a certain behavior to protect us from being really hurt. And so what can we do? Well, we've got to start to explore what we're defending against. We've got to start to explore why did I develop this defensive mechanism? Why am I going to food? If it has nothing to do with the food, well, why am I so attracted to food as a tool for my numbing? What am I numbing out from? And one of the greatest things that I think we can all do is start to develop a new relationship with our emotions because so much of our behavior is run by emotions. So the way our brain works, you know, our emotions are part of our unconscious brain. And so what often tends to happen is we'll respond through an emotion and then our logic prefrontal cortex will then justify why we should react the way we react. So if we can take time to understand why we're feeling the way we're feeling, right? Give ourselves a space between the action and the reaction, like something's happening to us before we can even respond. If we can notice our emotions, if we can come and feel our emotions in our physical body, then we start breaking the cycle. 
Mm-hmm. So I guess out of all of that, to answer your question, <laughs> um, I think it always starts with our body and it starts with our emotions. It starts by developing a new way of being in our physical body. And by that, I mean, you know, doing movement exercises like yoga or anything. It doesn't have to be yoga. It can just be whatever is mindful and brings your awareness into your body. So if you like running or power walking or even walking in a hike, do it without music. You know, see if you can really bring your awareness into your physical body and notice, you know, how does your body feel when you're a yes, when you're a no, when you're excited, when you're scared, you know, start to expand the container of your capacity to honor the spectrum of your emotions. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. And that's something I'm always doing and encouraging with people because we're trying to problem solve everything in our heads. And that's just, it creates Absolutely. that, it creates that vicious cycle of, of, per, you know, it just perpetuates it because you're never actually feeling what's going on and you're never actually connecting to your body which our bodies are so powerful like they're full of so much information for us so that's the irony isn't it we think our body is the problem Mm -hmm. when the truth is our body is actually the answer yeah our bodies are amazing like I'm always saying that to clients I'm like your body is amazing I mean it has the capacity to tell you your brain your is needs. sending all of the signals of your emotions into your body. Mm-hmm. So your body that is in the present is telling you how you're feeling. It's telling you what to do with that feeling. It's telling you everything you need to know. So, you know, it's interesting. I'll have a session with, you know, a new client and I'll ask them, oh, how did that feel when that happened? And they're like, oh, I felt really hurt because he did this and then I did this and then they did this and then we did this and all this stuff and blah, 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 blah. And they can go on a whole thing about how they felt. But notice, I'm like, that's actually not how they felt. It's the story, <laughs> right? That's the story, yeah. exactly. That's the story that they've made up that they've to justify their behavior, to justify why they did what they did, to justify their hurt. Mm-hmm. What if your emotions didn't need justification? Mm-hmm. What if instead of going so quick into the story, we can cultivate space to be with the hurt? Because that hurt is much more informative to me than the story. The hurt tells me that you're perceiving what happened as an affront to you. And I want to know why you're perceiving that, right? And that starts by being with the feeling. Why do you feel hurt? How does it feel hurt? Where does it feel hurt? You know, what, you know, because if you think about it, like our emotions run, it's like a storehouse of memories that our emotions have access to. And so when we're really accessing our emotions, we're really accessing our past and our past is running our future until we liberate it. Mm. Yeah. So what do you see getting in the way of this, of doing this? So I I guess what I'm trying to ask is, what are some of the problems you see with the way that this work is done in, in different, maybe it's in like the spirituality realm or the Mm self-help realm. What do you see being problematic in terms of how we approach this versus what you want people to do? Oh, where do I begin? I would (laughs) say one of my, (laughs) one of my biggest problems is, well, actually there's two, there's two. That I can name right off the top of my head. And you're lucky you're only getting two because I have a bazillion. Um, okay. So first I think our obsession with mindset 
is perpetuating the toxic masculinity obsession with mindset, our answers are not in our prefrontal cortex. Mm. So shifting a mindset and repeating mantras like I am beautiful, I am beautiful, I am beautiful is not going to do jack shit. Mm-hmm. Because like I said before, when we look at the science, the majority of our decisions, the majority of our lives is run by our subconscious mind. The majority of our lives are run actually by our memories, our emotions. And, you know, the more that we put an emphasis on mindset and this mantraing and keeping it in our, you know, in our rational mind, we're dismissing, we're stuffing down our emotions. And that's only going to then augment our inadequacy because we're not finding ways to be with our emotions. We're making an enemy out of our emotions. And when we're making an enemy of ourselves, any part of ourselves, we can't find a way to belong within ourselves, right? So we need to stop with this obsession with mindset. The answer to your problems are not because of your thoughts. Your thoughts are a consequence of something deeper. And we need to look at that. That's not to say that mindset never works. It's just not the only thing. It requires like a whole set of tools, you know, like you need not just the hammer, but you also need the screwdriver and you also need, you know, the ruler, et cetera, et cetera. It, mindset is just one part, one part, an important part, but not the whole thing. And so whenever I see anyone say that the reason why you're not making the money you want to make is because of your mindset, the reason why you hate your body is because of your mindset. And all you need to do is change your mindset. What these people are saying is that you're a problem, which then only makes you feel worse because you know, you're like, well, then I'm clearly broken because I'm doing all this work. I'm fixing my mindset and I'm still broke and I still feel, you know, gross in my body. So I must, you know what I mean? It feeds into our inadequacy. Mm-hmm. And then we are addicted to those people to keep indoctrinating us with the right mindset, which is not building our own power. So that's one of the issues that I have with the coaching, spiritual self-development in wellness industry. And then the other one is our obsession with positivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't, I can't, yeah. you know, I read somewhere really beautiful <laughs> there, the masculine energy. And I, you know, I, I try not to be in the duality of the feminine and the masculine. Um, but I, I really liked this. So let's see how it lands. The masculine energy within all of us, cause we all have both you know, wants to go towards the light. And that is the energy of the masculine energy going towards the light. And then the feminine aspect of ourselves actually wants to go into the depth, wants to go into the earth, wants to go into the darkness. And so when we see it in that capacity, like if we think of yin yang, we think we have both of these energies and we need both. We need the positive and the negative. We need the, we need all of the dualities. We need to be able to hold all of those dualities within us so that eventually we don't need the dualities at all. But because we live in a very limited mind, okay, let's talk about duality just for, you know, for one step, you know, but because so much of the industry is obsessed with the positive, what happens is then we don't actually then learn the tools to navigate the darkness. So we're dishonoring that feminine and that perpetuates that toxic masculinity once again. Mm-hmm. So even in the industry that's supposed to liberate us as women are actually continuing to imprison us in the same mindset that created the culture that we live in today that hates women. Yes. So how's that going to work? How are we going to be liberated if we're using the same tools that built the master's house, as Audre Lorde would say, mm-hmm. right? We can't. 
we've got to do something different. And the answer is embodiment. The answer is shadow work. The answer is, you know, dropping into your emotions. The answer is creating depth in your being. You are so much more than just the mantras and positive thoughts. You are a vivacious, incredibly diverse woman. Like you are, you know, you're everything. You're the whole universe within you. So do not deny yourself your own depth because society has told you that you don't have what it takes to be here. Mm -hmm. You know, we are so incredible. We're so incredible. And of course, when I say women, I mean, anyone who identifies themselves as women, I think, you know, men, women, and the whole spectrum of sexuality and gender, you know, we all have the capacity to really be change makers and to create power in this world. And the, and the type of power I'm speaking of is that power of love and acceptance but, and forgiveness and all that good stuff. But we can't get to that good stuff if we're so afraid of the shadow stuff. Because like I said earlier, when we push anything away, we limit our capacity to experience the opposite. Mm-hmm. We need the sadness and the happiness, right? We need them all. And the more that we can accept and hold all of the messiness of being human, the more we become our unapologetic expression of ourselves. And that excites the fuck out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think um, I, I feel so passionately about about that as well and and the the problems with simply trying to change thoughts the problems with trying to be positive that whole like positive vibes only um it's just bullshit and harmful and i think it makes us feel even worse about ourselves because we feel like we're not doing it right and like you said i mean i always use the metaphor of a piano like we need to have the full range, like all we need to play all the keys on our piano in order to have a rich soundtrack to our life. We cannot just limit ourselves yes. to one one section of the piano. And so I yeah, I just I, I totally agree with you on that. And I think that it's it's it takes courage to do the work that you're talking about to, you know, to, to dive into the parts of ourselves that we've been protecting and putting walls up around and using coping mechanisms. It's, it takes a lot of courage, but it's so worth it. You know, the, the last thing I was going to ask you was, but I feel like you already answered it, but you can just repeat it or add anything else to it. But what happens when we begin to really open ourselves up and start to to heal and nurture that worthiness wound like what do you see when when people start to do that yeah it's a great question i just know that it does take tremendous strength yet we all have this strength and i think it comes at a great cost if we don't do it you know Mm -hmm. it comes at the cost of our happiness And it comes at the cost of addictions and suffering and pain. And it comes at the cost of losing the people that we love and pushing away experiences. I mean, when I think back in college and the years after when I was in the throes of my desire to self-annihilate, right, to to not really exist, um, I couldn't really enjoy much of anything because I was so obsessed with what I was going to eat next 
And was I going to be able to control myself around that food and what my body looked like? And that obsession over what my body looks like kept me from spending all of that energy doing things that really excited me mm-hmm. and wearing things that excited me and, and, and having conversations that excited me, you know, living that, that, that drive that I had to really create magic in the world. And the, the good news is when we start doing this work and this is lifetime work, I am not saying that it is going to be like two months and you'll be healed and done, right? This is lifetime work. But I have to say, I don't binge eat. I don't calorie count. And this is something that I swore I was never going to be able to say. I mm-hmm. swore that I was always going to count calories to what I was eating. Oh, apple, 60 calories, you know, oh, banana, 80 calories. Like I knew everything. I would add it up every night. And I, even though I was no longer count, you know, writing them down, I would, I would know, I would know how much I was eating. And I thought that that was going to be me forever. And now I don't. You know, now I'm not, and I'm not special. I'm, I'm not someone new. Yes. I have tremendous amount of privilege, you know, as a white woman in this country, but the healing that happened within me is not something that is abnormal. It's something that we can all access because I believe our soul wants healing and our soul will move us towards things that wants our healing. So, you know, it's possible. It's possible for us to be liberated from the obsession with our, whatever paralyzes us, whatever that looks like, and not be, be able, not lose your sense of worth in the process. So I know that in a culture that accepts only, you know, a certain size woman as acceptable, one feels distinctly aware of, of the ways in which we don't align with that perfect ideal, mm-hmm. right? You can be with that. Like you can understand like, oh, my body is not accepted here. I and mean, you can deal with the hurt of that and you can deal with the pain of that. And then you can do something about it without it consuming you and making it mean something about you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, it's like exactly. Women, women, you know, and the spectrum of womanhood right now is still not very much accepted um, in our in our patriarchal culture. However, we can either allow that to annihilate us and define us, or we can allow ourselves to define ourselves and to define our worth and then to make culture and create the world that we want to live in. Mm-hmm. So on that note, where can people find more of you? Yeah. So they can go to my website, taissky.com. Uh, I'm also on Facebook um, and on Instagram at I am Sky. And yeah, you can play with me there. Awesome. You have a podcast, don't you? Oh, of course. Oh my gosh. Somehow, how can I forget? <laughs> I love my baby. My podcast is like, I'm sure you feel about your podcast. It's just the love of my life right now. It gives me so much life. That is so funny that I forgot. Yes, I do have a podcast. It's called Reclaim and uh, it's conversations uh, by women for women um, on conversations that matter. So it's an opportunity for me to continue to engage in this type of dialogue, really, and find that intersection of spirituality and feminism. Right on. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was so good. And I will link to all that stuff in the show notes. Thank you for having me. Rock on. 
I love talking to people who are on the same page about so many different things. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 114. And by the way, it is preface. So I will know that going forward. But I left the banter with myself in there because I just wanted to be a little less polished (laughs) and really just show you the real me trying to figure stuff out on the fly sometimes. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this one. I will talk to you next time. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.